Good evening, ladies. My name is Crystal Johnson, and I am pumped to talk Colossians with you as we wrap up all of our learning tonight. I do want to get to Colossians right away, so the quick intro that you need on me is this. One, I'm married to my husband, Trevor. Two, I'm a teacher at Faith Academy. And three, we are foster parents, and we currently have the world's cutest three-year-old sharing our home with us. As I was studying and getting ready to share with you, I was thinking how awesome it was that Paul literally broke out into song. As I was studying, I was equally excited and realized breaking out into song was a really appropriate reaction for Paul to have. Because you know that full heart, almost giddy feeling you get where your insides are so full that you feel like you just might burst so you break out into song? Ladies, I'm talking like middle of the kitchen dance party, singing in the shower, windows rolled down, feeling good. I am a teacher and I'm surrounded by goofy kids all year long and there are a number of times where they are just so excited that they don't know what to do but to sing or to dance. Now the songs and dances they use to express themselves change and I will never forget when the song was Go Granny, Go Granny. We were on our way to go somewhere when I let them out of the bus to stretch while we filled up on gas. And they all got out and did the Go Granny dance in the parking lot. As I was prepping, this image of them in the gas station parking lot came to mind. Them expressing their fullness of joy in song and dance. So I get it. And if at any point tonight you feel the need to express your awe for Christ in song, I wouldn't be opposed Because I have always really wanted to know what would it be like to live in a real-life musical where everyone starts singing the exact same song and somehow everyone knows the words and the dance moves. I can see it now, all of us standing on the tables, doing a somehow perfectly choreographed dance, singing out the Christ hymn. Now, I haven't seen my kiddos do the Go Granny dance for a while. They've moved on to other ones. But ladies, our song never changes. We are being reminded week after week that we really do have something to sing about. So let's switch gears to discussing this. Can you think of a time where you saw or heard of a famous person or someone in a high position of power show great humility? As you try to think about your own example, I will give you a few few of mine. For example, when I found out that Brian Dermody, one of our pastors, gave up being an NFL football coach to work for Salt Company, I was wowed, and it changed how I thought about a lot of things. When people would come visit, I would say, oh, Brian is teaching. He was an NFL coach. I knew people were amazed that someone would give up that job to help make Jesus known to college students in Iowa City. Or who knows the show Undercover Boss? For those who don't, the point of the show is the CEO of a huge company will disguise themselves as a new employee at their own company. So they act as if they are newly hired in order to see what it's like to work at their own company and to see how people really feel about working there. In Undercover Boss, when the people find out it's their very wealthy and very successful CEO sitting next to them flipping burgers, they are often overcome with tears at their humility. They didn't think anything of it all day, but when they found out their position, they were awed by their humility. When we find out someone's status, 
or power or position and then find out that they are standing in front of us or have given up something to be with us, we are a little awed by it. We are awed that someone with such high position would give something, time, money, to be with us. As awe-striking as any of those examples of people leaving high positions may be, none have the magnitude of Jesus's because no one has ever held the height of his position. But tonight we will let who Jesus is inform us about the significance of what he did. So first we'll take a second to do that, to remember and appreciate all that we've learned so far. Now, I'm not saying I'm a mind reader, but I am a teacher, so I've heard this before. We already did this. Then out they go to La La Land, and they don't hear anything that I'm saying. Ladies, don't do that. It is worth us taking a few minutes to pull this all together to make our learning really memorable and use all that we've learned so far to get us ready for tonight. So did you feel Paul building that crescendo? Think about that list of truths that he's listed about Jesus that we've studied so far, reminding us of who Jesus is and how great and mighty he is. I'm going to read these phrases slowly, and as I do, I want you to think about your greater understanding for each of these statements about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things, the creator of all things, and in whom all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent, surpassing all others. The last item in that list was he is preeminent. And we saw how preeminent means surpassing all others, very distinguished, having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Eminent means all of those things, above the rest. So preeminent means eminent of the eminent, or in our words, the best of the best. So for example, Heinz, Culver's, and Dairy Queen may be regarded as the best ice cream places in Iowa City. But the best of the best, my friends, is Dane's. That's above the rest. Now, some might disagree, so let me give another example that can't be argued. Well, that's the problem. I can't think of an example of anything that we would all agree was the best of the best because all of my food ideas are subject to your own opinions. But not in this case. Jesus is said to be preeminent. And that isn't just Paul's opinion. And some other believer would say, no, actually, I really liked Moses. No, it's not up for debate. It is what it is. He has the title of the best of the best, and many reasons have already been listed. And now Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus' status is literally the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, beginning and end. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, the crescendo of Paul reminding us how highly Jesus is seated on the throne. And it makes great sense that Paul would begin with lifting Jesus to his rightful place in our hearts and our minds because the more we understand how unlike us Jesus is, how holy and mighty and indescribable he is, the more of a rightful awe we have when we realize he came to earth. 
who Jesus is brings great understanding to what he did. The first sentence in Paul's list was, he is the image of the invisible God. The first and foremost thing we need to understand about Jesus is that he is God. No wonder it was crazy to them that Jesus was God. Remember last week, the holy couldn't be with the holy. They were under the understanding that their sin was separating them from God. Remember, God in all of his glory couldn't be seen or you would die. There were regulations and stipulations in order to enter the presence of God. The holy could not be in the presence of the unholy. And then now, here is Jesus, a man who is fully God, right here in their presence. From the day Jesus entered the earth, he was showing the world, yes, I am God. Yes, I am man. So yes, I am the way for man to be with God. No one comes to the Father except through me. One person made the Christ hymn into a poem and song, and part of the song is describing this greatness, this magnitude of Christ put into a human body. Now, none of these metaphors are fitting because our words can't describe the magnitude of Jesus, but I do think that they help us imagine. He described it like this, takes infinite power and bows the knee, the infinite squashed down into finite like fitting 10,000 angels on the top of a pin, like the entire ocean is poured into a pool, like the wine is running over, like it's bursting at the seams, the Christ, he was bursting at the seams. I pray that God would help us understand how much Christ was bursting at the seams, being fully God yet fully man all of that power and authority packed into his earth suit as he became flesh among us. So our first point tonight is Jesus is above all, not based on popular opinion or ratings, but because of who Jesus is, Jesus is above all. We need to have a big view of who Jesus is, and we need that at the forefront of our minds as we move to point two. And now we focus on what Christ has done. So our verses this week were verse 21 through 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Do we think of ourselves as alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds? Is that what your references or your family and friends would say about you? Of course they wouldn't. I would think that if you had to write down references, you would be able to think of people that would be able to say good and true things about you. But even if someone were to say, wow, this lady is not like the other nurses out there. She is truly amazing. That compliment is based off of our comparisons to others like us. Ladies, Paul describes them as once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But do we understand that is or was our condition? If we don't get that, then the problem might not be how we see ourselves, but how we see our God. 
after Paul has helped us get this high and exalted view of Christ, and we have a right mindset of his holiness, then we realize how far from that we are. But we don't compare ourselves to God. We choose to compare ourselves to peers. Or if we're having a really bad day, we compare ourselves to others we see as lower or more struggling to give ourselves the assurance that at least we aren't that bad. But Paul loves them, so Paul gives it to them straight. You, who once were alienated. Alienated comes from the root word alien, meaning we made ourselves foreign or stranger to God because of our sin. Hostile in mind, that means we were against God. We were opposed to him. John Piper says, so what does Paul mean that people were hostile in mind to God before they were reconciled by the blood of Christ? I think he means that the hostility is really there toward the true God. But people do not allow themselves to think about the true God. They imagine God to be the way they would like him to be, which seldom includes any possibility that they might be in really serious trouble with him. We were all hostile to God, Paul says. Deep down, we hated his absolute power and authority. And lastly, he says, doing evil deeds. These huge words show huge need. Do we know our need or are we numb? Either way, the need is there. I think we could all think of seasons in our lives or maybe even just moments in our day where we are much more aware of our need for Jesus than other times. The times where we are much more aware of our need are usually when there is a circumstance or situation or person or problem in our life that makes us very aware of it. With our three-year-old, we are often reminded of our need for Jesus. For example, when he comes home from a visit day, which means he was visiting his biological parents, and he's struggling to process emotions, he'll push my husband Trevor away as the father figure. And I remember looking at Trev and saying, you know God is faithful to an unfaithful people. So if we believe that that is true, we can love him right now, even when he isn't loving you. Ladies, that's hard to do. And that night at supper, it wasn't, hey, do you want to pray? It was like, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you now. But then an hour later, when things are fine, how easily we can think we don't need Jesus. That's just not true. Our circumstances do not determine how in need we are. We are already in need of him. Our circumstances reveal our need for Jesus, but that doesn't create a need. The need is already there. And not need in the sense of, oh, this time is hard or this relationship is hard. I need you, God, to come fix this. Ladies, I'm talking about us. We are the ones in need. Our situations don't just need God. We do. Let me say that again. We are the ones in need. Not just our situations need God. We do. So yikes. When we say we feel bored or unmoved, we need a reality check. Ladies, I want to shake the future me in the face when this happens because we're either not understanding how hostile and evil we are or we're not understanding this fully painted picture of Jesus. Paul goes on to say, those people, us, the alienated, hostile, evil deed-doing ones, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This got me thinking, man, I wouldn't even want to sit in a courtroom and be judged under another human being, let alone in front of God. With fostering, I'm getting a little more familiar with how a courtroom works, and one big part of the learning process was understanding everyone's roles. There are so many moving pieces in that room, and every party has their own attorney in order to represent each person well. And when I'm sitting in those courtrooms watching this process take place, I do not envy the seat of the one giving testimony. The one who was put under oath and then many people around the room take turns questioning you and bringing your life and your choices into the open. I think that there are probably two groups of people. Those of us that if we were to be put on the stand would go up And even before the questioning begins, just break down in tears with, man, I am horrible and I don't ever measure up. But then there are those of us that would seem pretty put together. When the questions are coming from your own attorney, it's crazy how talented those individuals are in order to to take a very tricky situation, but find good things to say about it or to beat around the bush and only share the good things. I feel like if we were asked to represent ourselves, that's what we would do. We see ourselves as all right, doing the best we can. But then what happens? Then the opposing attorney holds your choices up to what the law requires, and then it's made very much aware of how far from that expectation we are. Whatever boat we find ourselves in, either very aware of how much we don't measure up, or blinded by our failures, ladies, we need the law to expose ourselves as alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds. Because if it's anything less than that, we're comparing ourselves to some law we've just made up and not to God's holiness. Why do we need to see ourselves as that? Because it reveals to us our need. When we see ourselves for what we are, we see need. And when we see Jesus for what he is, we see God. And the thing is, we aren't sitting in that courtroom left as sinners not measuring up to God's holiness. We enter that courtroom with a very special person. One of those people in the room is a court advocate, someone who speaks to the judge for you on your behalf. Ladies, Jesus is our court advocate. He makes it so that we are no longer alienated, but now able to draw near. No longer hostile, but blameless. No longer doing evil deeds, but now above reproach. The Father looks on us and he sees Jesus. Ladies, that's why we have to see Jesus for who he is. We don't keep our face down and inward, mulling over our failures. We look up and out and see salvation given to us by God through Jesus. A.W. Tozer speaks to the sense of failure one can feel when we realize how we've been guilty of revolt against the majesty. He says the gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind, give beauty for ashes, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. And until he sees a vision of God high and lifted up, there will be no woe and no burden. 
low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Ladies, we need to know there is a judgment day. But for those who are in Christ, we don't enter the courtroom alone. We go with an advocate and his name is Jesus. And he enters us holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy means set apart. We were once separated, alienated because of sin, but now we're set apart in the other direction. We went from aliens to members of God's household. Ephesians 2 verse 18 through 19 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It says we're blameless. That means we're forgiven. Before we were hostile in mind, but now he sees us blameless. Above reproach, meaning no one can bring a charge against you versus the evil deeds before that left us guilty and under condemnation. What a difference in the extremity of these words and conditions. From alienated to holy. From hostile in mind to blameless. From evil deeds to above reproach. Then the verse says before him. Holy, blameless, above reproach, before him. Ladies, again, keep in mind everything we learned last week in terms of God's holiness and presence. We should be amazed at the thought of being before him. We can't see him in this condition, so what changes? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's Jesus who makes us righteous, and it's Jesus that allows us to be before God and live. So tonight, we've seen the importance of understanding our previous condition and need for a Savior. But then we're also saying he'll present us as holy and blameless, right? So are we saying it's best to remember how messed up we are so we know our huge need for a Savior? Or aren't we supposed to think of ourselves as saints who struggle with sin? We have to understand the first in order to appreciate the latter. In court, they say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Ladies, the whole truth is we were once those things. And we aren't now seen as saints because we turned our life around. We are holy, blameless, and above reproach because Jesus is. And when God sees us, he sees Jesus. So what do we think more on? Understanding our need or understanding what's to come? I think the answer is we think more on Christ. Ladies, point one, we looked at all that we've learned about who Jesus is. Point two, we looked with that high and lifted view of Jesus at what he has done. And now let's land with point three, the application. Verse 23 says, that reconciliation, that hope is true for you if, oh, see, there it is. The strings attached, right? Paul knows people, and he knows the skepticism we have about things. And when someone says something very, very sweet and puts a kind offer on the table, there's that part of us that's like, okay, sounds good, but what aren't you telling me? What are the conditions? So again, Paul gives it to them straight. He lays it on the table. This Christ has done this for you, 
and it is yours if you continue in the faith. Ladies, that's our application. May we continue stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Do you hear the patterns of three? We were alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. We will be holy, blameless, above reproach before him. Continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the gospel. So we're to be firm and established in what? The faith. And why? In Randy Alcorn's Heaven book, he says it this way. When we die, we face judgment, the judgment of faith. This decides whether we'll go to the present heaven or the present hell. This initial judgment depends not on our works, but on our faith. It's not about what we've done during our lives, but, but what Christ has done for us. So if we go back to picturing that courtroom, this hope of the gospel that we're clinging to determines how that day goes. Will we feel the need to tell God how hard we tried or how close to being like him we are? Then we've missed it. Or will we accept that we were once alienated and hostile in our minds, expressed by our evil deeds, and accept that Jesus is our advocate who presents us as holy, blameless, and above reproach? Ladies, let's not find our stability or steadfastness in our own doings and efforts. May we not try to manipulate our words in order to make ourselves seem better than we are. May we not try to work in order to earn approval, but would we remain stable and steadfast because of Jesus? He is the hope of the gospel. He is our way to the Father. He allows us to draw near. So we know we're to be stable and steadfast in faith, but how? What would it look like to be stable and steadfast in our faith? Well, we saw it in our homework. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How? By setting what on things above? Our heart and our mind. What we fix our heart and minds on has a direct impact on our hands That's our behavior and our choices. So first, look at how Jesus did it perfectly. His heart and his mind were fixed on things above. And look at all that he was able to endure. Stable and steadfast, not shifting. Look at our author, Paul. He isn't just throwing this strategy as a suggestion. It's how he lived his life. And he endured things such as what's listed in 2 Corinthians. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, 
in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. But he set his heart and his mind on things above. Had his body or his flesh controlled those situations, his mind would have been on fear and anxiety. His heart on feeling abandoned by God and ready to give in to pleasing the men around him. But he remained firm and stable in the faith because he had his heart and his mind set on things above. Ladies, let's walk away from tonight having a better idea of how to stay firm and established in the faith. In our summer of studying, we talked about what do we do when we can't see God, but we have plenty of other things to see. We remember that the solution is Jesus is the image of God. So we lift our gaze up, chin up. We cast off our fatherhood of Adam and come under the fatherhood of Jesus. Yes, our past still matters, but it's decentered, and Jesus re-centers me. We turn our head from left to right, from Adam to Jesus. And we see that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we don't have to pr- pretend or try to be in control. We have an open grip. Chin up, head from left to right, open hands. As we studied the Christ and we heard Paul lift Jesus above all others and help us have a right view of him. Then Paul showed us what this Jesus did for us, changing our conditions from one extreme to another. And finally, we are left with the application to remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, our feet firmly planted. Stay firm and established until what? Well, it's as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We set our hearts and our minds on things above, on Christ, to stay firm and established in the faith. As we long to be with God, we stand firm. Let me leave you with this story. Our sweet three-year-old who's living with us right now desires nearness to those around him. He loves to be near. So in the mornings on our way to daycare, he whimpers in the back seat and he has the saddest curled down lip. Lip. But as we were introducing him to many routines, he began to see, wait a minute, they want to be near to me too. They always come back and get me from daycare at the end of the day. So now on our way to daycare, he'll say over and over again, for probably six out of the eight minutes that it takes to drive to daycare, you come back, you come back, we go home, you come back, to which we answer, yeah, honey, mommy and daddy are going to go to work and you'll go play, then we'll come back and take you home. You come back, mommy, you come back, yeah, we'll come back on repeat. So fast forward to picking him up and he'll hop in the car and we'll say, honey, how was your day? To which he almost always answers, you came back, mommy, you came back. Daddy, you came back. Yes, honey, we love you. Of course we came back. In eight minutes on the way home, we sometimes get details of what he ate or who he played with. But sprinkled in the conversation is always the reflection on you came back. Ladies, Our God desires to be near to us. We were created to be near to him. Because of our sin, we were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he came back. 
He came back to make it so that when he comes back again, it's for good. Ladies, let's be like this little boy and marvel at our father who came back and look ahead with joy and assurance as we know he's coming back. He'll come get us. He'll take us home. May he find us firm and established in the faith with our gaze firmly fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us you through your son, Jesus. Thank you that we have a perfect image of you. Father, would you continue to increase in us a desire to know you more? And Father, as we come to know you, would our gaze stay fixed on you? Would we be standing firm and established in the faith, not shifting from our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ when you come? Jesus, thank you for making a way for the Father to be near. Out of thankful hearts, we give you our summers, we give you our days. Do with us what you will. Amen.